what's going on? It's Michael Yo. Welcome to the Yo Show. Uh, today's podcast is awesome. I love this guy. I met him at the Comedy Cellar like two weeks ago. And you know my thing. If you listen to the pod, you know why I love the Comedy Cellar so much. Because when I came up in comedy, I really didn't hang out with a lot of comedians because, you know, I had a eight to five job. So I would perform late at night and then run home. So I feel like the Comedy Cellar has really opened me up to meet new people, meet new comics. And I feel like finally I'm starting to get into this. I don't know. It's weird. Like this community, I feel like more a part of a community in the comedy cellar has definitely done that for me. But today, John Lester, he's a phenomenal comedian. He was all American in basketball in high school, went through college. He experienced some rehab. Um, he now has created an app that's going to make him a billion dollars probably two years from now. The dude is a genius. He's smart. And I really wanted to interview him as soon as possible. And I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast, man. The dude is absolutely great. All his handles, all the information about him will be in the description below. And anything you hear us talk about, description below. And man, I just got to say thank you so much for all the love. My special is still climbing we just went over 240,000 views my youtube channel has gone from 3,000 people two and a half months ago to now we're at close to 107,000 you're talking about 104,000 subscribers in two and a half months and that's because of you so do me a favor if you're not subscribed hit that button bing make it happen right down there i really would appreciate it really would mean a lot. All right, let's get into it. Yo show. Yo show. What's up, John? What it do, yo? How's everything? Good, good, good. So where are you right now? Yo, I am um, in Denver, Colorado, um, unable to get into my room from, uh, they won't let me in for an early check-in. Oh, okay. So yeah. if you don't know the history of me and John. We met at the Comedy Cellar just two weeks ago. I love the conversation with John because he's such, you're intelligent, first of all. You're very intelligent, first of all. Yeah, you know, you got the app called Blap that you're doing. You're going to be a billionaire soon. But besides that, you know, we were talking basketball. And I said, I think Golden State was going to win in six, you know? Now, you said you actually thought, and you had good points, and you made me realize it. You're like, Boston, I, you think Boston's going to win still, right? I still believe Boston will win. I, I, let me say this, man, to begin with. Now, I'm biased um, because I've never been a fan of Golden State. I know that sounds crazy. Oh, they're a dynasty, this, that, the other. But I, I, think, I think that whole dynasty is nonsensical, farcical. Uh -huh. uh, I just think that they are the weakest dynasty in the history of any sport ever what what are you talking about i how could you even say that they're winning I, with with straight up shooters that's what bro, you don't I like think i think it's fugazi it's garbage and i think that history will not be kind to this dynasty let me let me let me just make my case i'll make it yes. in 60 seconds and then you go ahead and rebut it okay so the first time that lebron and golden state lock horns when they win their championship a lot of people forget that Della Vadova was his second best player because Kevin Love had got hurt the series before. Yep. And then in game one, Kyrie broke his kneecap. LeBron yep. still took them six games, right? 
as, as Delavadova as his second best player. So he's handicapped. What does LeBron do? Does he call Kevin Durant? No. He goes back in and says, you know what? I slipped on the ice when we fought last time, homies. I'm going to give you a, a – let's, let's get a heads up and see what happens. They go back in there. He wins the championship. What do they do after they win 73 games? You go get Kevin Durant, and those, and then you win those two titles. So the first one you won, you won when this guy was handicapped. And then you felt like, God, we can't really beat him. So you go get the guy you just beat. Can you imagine if Magic Johnson had lost to the Celtics one time and then and then goes to Boston? Okay, see, see, okay. See, now you're living in the past right now. Because you can't, I'm saying, you can't, I'm, you know, I'm saying, it I'm wasn't saying, like that back then. You can't even I'm compare saying, the two. I'm saying, I'm saying that's all three of their chips. To me, that's like, really? Yeah, but you can't compare that time with this time. Because Michael Jordan, to me, is the greatest player ever. And it's not because of just stats or championships. It's what he did for the entire game. He changed the shoe game. He changed the culture of the NBA. He made it like Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. They were commercial, but they weren't commercial like Jordan. Like he told, like LeBron is a great player. He's one of the best, but he hasn't changed the game. Steph Curry has changed the game more than LeBron James to me. So that's what I say is a great player and a transformational player where you can change it entirely. After Steph Curry, everybody adapted their game to shooting three. Threes is the thing. I saw, I was at the park the other day. They have eight-year-old kids shooting threes. Before, you would never see that. You would never. Yeah. Steph Curry changed the entire game. Change it, changing the game and being in awe of a dynasty are two different things. I completely agree with you that he, he changed the game. But I also believe that, I don't know, I'm just like this whole. Well, like, if, whole if, if we're taking your case. Kevin Durant left, got two superpower, two super players, Harden, and he got Kyrie, and they fell on their face. So there must be something with Steph and Golden State that can win championships with Kevin Durant. Because to me, Kevin Durant will never win a chip when he's the star player. Even though he was with Golden State, you got to have that backbone. It's like LeBron going to, to Miami, right? Du he had to make that move to learn how to be a champion from Dwayne Wade. Then he could go win a chip. Like Kevin Durant, I felt, wasn't that dude. Okay, so then let me pose this question to you. Mm -hmm. How many players, after they won 73 games that year, could you have added to that team the following year and still won a championship? Oh, I think you could have won anybody. I, I mean, you could have – a solid player would have helped them out. And they still would have won, I believe. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. So yeah. to me, it was like, really? But what? But if the opportunity is there, why not take the best player? I mean, that's, not, just, that's just not, business, bro. That's business. That you, I'm not saying that you don't do it, but I'm just saying to me, it's like, eh. Okay. So I want to talk about comedy because that's how we met through The Cellar. How'd you get into stand-up? Um, you know, I wanted to. I, I had seen a bunch of people on TV in the movies and found out that they were all stand-ups first. And I, you know, was a big time basketball player here in Denver. And what was suggested to me as a as a ball player. Now, hold on one second. When you say big time basketball player, let's go to that. Because I know you were athletic, but when you say big time, what does that mean? I was a high school All American man, and I was, you know, I signed in the in the Big Ten, which was the the Big Ten and the and the uh, ACC were the best two conferences. You know what I mean? So of the you know the twenty best 20, 30 players in the country, you're going to the Big Ten or the ACC. So yeah, I was one. What, what year was this? Just so long, people know. Long, long time ago. 
<laughs> Long time ago. In okay. the 90s. In, in the, the 90s. 90s. Okay, so so being like this is interesting because I I don't talk to a lot of all American high school basketball players. I've known some, but you know, not not well. What's the pressure like being in a high school, being an all American? I know it's cool. The aesthetic is cool, but is there a lot of pressure on a kid? You know what? I think there was a lot of pressure, but I, I think that you're just too young and dumb to really understand it. Do you know what I mean? Because at that age, the guys who could who could play the way that I could play, you're typically head and shoulders above the next two or three guys on anyone else's team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I had a police escort one time walk me into a gym because they were threatening me. Like I was that dude. So you're just better than everybody. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much pressure, so to speak, there is. I think it, it probably kicks in a little more college and then definitely in the pros, you know, because the, there's so much money at stake at that time. Okay. So high school, all American and basketball, then you go to college. What college did you go to? Uh, Minnesota and Colorado State. Went to sign with Minnesota and then ended up transferring back to Colorado State. Okay, so why'd you pick Minnesota first? You know what? To be flagrantly honest with you, man, I didn't even really know what I was doing back then. So my brother would sort out the mail. And we used to get so much mail that the post office had decided, like, they were like, yo, this guy's a big deal. We'll bring your mail on Sundays also because we know it can't fit in the box. So they would just drop, like, this plastic container box on our – on our, all the mail they couldn't fit in the box. On Sundays, they would dump it in this big post office box and come back and get it on Monday. Um, and my brother would sort it out. So my mom, you know, when you're when you're in high school, all young black men, you know, if you ask us all the same question at that age, what would you do if I gave you a million dollars? I'd buy my mom a house. Yes. So it was the same story when they're coming in to recruit you. Whoever your mom likes the most is probably where you're going. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so my mom really uh, fell in love with the with the coach in Minnesota, and uh, and that's where I ended up going. And my brother was like, you know, this is this is a good path to the NBA for you. But I had been advised the easiest path to the NBA for me would have been to leave Denver and finish my high school basketball in New York, and I opted not to do that. And I didn't want to make the same mistake again when it came to comedy. So when it came to came do comedy, I was like, I'm not going to be the big fish in the little pond again. I learned that lesson. You know, if you want to climb Mount Everest, go to Mount Everest. Yeah. So so did you realize when you got to college, you weren't as good as the high school rankings or did you just fall out of love of basketball? What happened? I think I fell behind at a really critical time. Mm -hmm. So first day of practice, my senior year, I broke my wrist. Slowest healing. Yeah, my navicular. Slowest healing bone in the body. And I think that stumble, I, I, I stumbled in the college, whereas if I hadn't, my college experience would have been very different. My path to the NBA would have been very different. But I, I didn't understand back then that, you know, when, when, when something like that hits you, you don't turn it into a pity party. No. You know what I mean? You have to get up off the mat and train twice as hard. And I didn't understand that back then. You know, that was one of my takeaways from basketball. Like, oh, broke my wrist. You know, now you got to really ramp it up. You really got to – you really have to, um, to, do, to, to work twice as hard. And I, I, I um, turned it more into a pity party. Like, oh, my God, we grew up in the hood. I'm cursed. I'm cursed. I'm, you know, ah. it was a, it, yeah, it was a poor me, poor me party. So you you go throughout college. Did you go to the NBA or no? No. You no. didn't go to the NBA. So you're sitting there after college. The game you love is gone. 
Yes. Um, and I know that's that's a mental issue right there in itself. Getting over that was that tough for you? Oh man, a lot of detoxes, rehabs, outpatients. <laughs> like uh, like re like what the mental rehabs was it? No, uh, no, no, no. For um for alcohol and drugs. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Was that because sports was over and you needed something else to kind of get yeah, you by? I, mean, I think it was like like you said. I mean, in hindsight, it probably was some residual from that. You, you know what I mean? Now you're, you you go from the man since you were fourteen mm -hmm. or fifteen, show up in New York City where no one knows you or cares about you, and you're getting booed at night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and then as I got good, it was open bar every night, and then that turned into a hamster wheel um, that that yeah landed me in some uh, in some in some detoxes and rehabs. So did you go straight from basketball after college into comedy? Did you have to figure yes. it out first? No, I, 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 I took off running. I, I had one box, man, and I took off for New York City. I was going to get this comedy thing, uh, get it right. Do you remember the first time you did a set, and where was that at, and what year? It was the Boston Comedy Club almost 20 years ago. My buddy Will Sylvince put me on stage, and I went down in flames. Tell me about it. Bro, complete silence. And I'm I'm trying to tell some jokes about New York City and how they dress in um, camouflage. It was it was horrible. How long was your set? I think back then they gave you three minutes. Three minutes. Do you yeah. remember a joke you said in that set? Um, I think I remember um, you know, being like, Hey, you know, I don't understand why y'all wear camouflage out here in New York. There's no trees. Like, where are you gonna camouflage yourself? By a subway? <laughs> Which is not bad, so that didn't get nothing, though. Yo, when I tell you it didn't get nothing, it got nothing. So so here, here's what's interesting to me. You go from a player being heralded, cheers, and now you're getting booze. Was that, or, or did you get booed off stage, or it was just silence? I did get booed, man. I got booed. Um, one time I remember, the second time he put me on stage, the, the, the guy before me got booed. Right, uh -huh. completely booed on stage. So this is the second time I ever went on stage. So, <laughs> so, so Will sees me bomb, right? And he says, hey, "Man, you know something about you. You know you got some charisma, whatever." He said, "I have this other spot. You can come do it on Tuesday." Because the first time I went up was on a Sunday. So okay. The Tuesday spot. So I go to the Tuesday spot. The guy before me gets booed completely off stage, and I go up, and I said, "Hey guys," and I could I can sense the boo coming. I said, I'm going to do my impersonation of a comedian who's not doing good that leaves, right? So they get quiet, right? And they're really interested. And I put the mic on the stool and left. <laughs> and that was your set? That was my set. Did they get it? Did you get a, a, a clap? They were in shock. They were just silent. <laughs> I think they thought I was kidding. <laughs> I, was, I was not kidding. I was not coming back. So you didn't you didn't want to go through a second round of booze? That's what you're saying? Oh, oh yo, that I, after I saw what happened to that first dude, I was like, you know what? I can take a hint. <laughs> I can take uh, a hint. How long? And I know you said you weren't going back. Where you were like, okay, I'm starting to get laughs, and um, I can attempt. People want to book me now in clubs. How many years did it take you for that? Probably not that long because. What happened was I would go on stage and because I was so scared to get booed, I would just start snapping on people. 
So oh. then people were like, hey, this guy is fast on his feet. So some of my friends were like, hey, man, you know, you want to do five minutes or I'm not going to be here next Tuesday. You could host when I'm gone. Ah, yeah. So I start guest hosting and then I ended up getting a joke or two that I could actually use. And then once I had started hosting, a buddy of mine, Talent, this comedian named Talent out here, he said, yo, John, man, you're really fast. He said, you should get your own little bar show, start hosting. It'll make you better. And that's yeah. what I ended up doing. And that is when the separation between me and my peers began. You know, you know, it's interesting. And I talk about it with comics all the time. It's about stage time, man, because we all know comics that have been doing it X number of years, but their stage time is like a third of that. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And, so and, yeah, and, you get a lot more stage time when you're hosting, especially on the hood circuit, because the hood circuit, everyone comes to see the host. Everything else is gravy. Yeah. Whereas when you get on the mainstream circuit, the host is kind of the 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 you know you just kind of kind of keeping the keeping the, the train running on down the track. When did you get into the cellar? How was that process for you? Um, you know what? I had a good friend. I was working at a club in New York, and a, so you know how it is when a new booker comes in, everybody's kind of done. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Because you know, so I'm working at this club, stand up New York, and believe it or not, I had survived three different bookers which is like a record in comedy, right? At Stand Up New York. At Stand Up, I survived three bookers. Wow. And then the third booker says, I'm leaving. So my thought was, I'm done. You can't survive four bookers. Yeah. New booker comes in, they announce the new booker, it's my personal friend. Not only is it my personal friend, at the end of her, the end of the year, she put for her New Year's caption, it's a picture of me and her hugging, um, my last year's MVP, John Laster, right? Oh, that's big. That's big. So, so I'm in there. And then sure enough, she comes in and doesn't book me. Yes, believe it or not. So I end up having to go down to the comedy cellar. Wait a minute. Why don't you think she booked you? Was it because y'all, she didn't want to play favoritism or what, what do you think it was? Well, no, she told, she told me that the reason being was, she needed to get other comedians in the club first before she brought me back. She's like, you already work here. I got to get them in and then I can get, and then I'll put you back in the rotation. But that wasn't paying my bills. Yeah. No. I was like, you know what? I'll just make a run down to the cellar. I go down to the cellar, a buddy of mine sitting there and, and we're sitting there. He's like, come down, hang out with me. Another friend comes in and says, Hey John, are you working? I said, no. He goes and tells Esty, the booker there. He said, yo, the funniest guy you've never seen is sitting around the corner at the Village Underground. And then, of course, Esty pushes back and says, are you sure you're going to stick with that? Nice. <laughs> you sure you want to go I love Esty. I love it. I love it. You, you sure you want to try that one? And he said, yo, I'm willing to stake my reputation. The funniest guy you've never seen is around the corner at one of your other clubs. So, you know, he says, yo, you know, she said you could send her a video, whatever, whatever. And she told me that because what he said was so insane that she had to watch the video. She was like, I got to see this. And then she uh -huh. said she watched it and she was like, yeah, he's that good. And she said, get him in here. Because she told me she, um, she wasn't going to let anyone in until November. It was July because they didn't let very many people in the cellar back then. It's six years yeah. ago. It's mm -hmm. six years ago, way before the pandemic and all that. So, so yeah. So she says, yeah, you know, November, I'm going to start letting new people in. And she had she watched the video and said, you know what, you could start this weekend. And that Who was gave the, you that recommendation. 
It, you know what? It was Lenny Marcus and Ted Alexandro. So the two of them, but it was Lenny who had said the over the top comment that uh, made her kind of like, he better be funny. Yeah. Right. You got to be funny. You got it. So, so did you try out for Essie or was the tape the trial? You didn't have to perform in front no, of No, you still have to audition. You still got to come. Okay. So how was your audition? How'd that go? The audition, man, fortunately went really, really good. And I think part of it was I was just trying to find some money to replace what I had lost at Stand Up New York. I had no idea all of the good that I would come in contact with once I got into the cellar. I didn't realize that, oh, my God, you meet people who are doing this and doing that. You know what I mean? I didn't. I had no idea what I was walking into, because if I had, I would have been far more nervous. Oh, yeah. Like, it's such a legendary place. Like, you could sit at that table and you got writers from Saturday Night Live that are doing sets before and after you. You got people, you got all types of agents coming through the clubs. You never know who's going to be there, man. The energy energy in all of those rooms in New York is insane. And I remember, because I just got passed probably about a year and a half ago. And I remember I went to New York. It's so interesting because I remember before the pandemic, because I perform at Gotham all the time. And I went to the cellar and it was hard to get in. You know, I'm a comic, but if you're not a seller comic, they don't really care. You yeah. know, you can be a comic, but if you're not a seller comic, no love, no love. Right. And to be able to walk up there after getting passed and Liz or Esty waiting for you and you go in there and then you crush on one of those stages, it's the only time, I, I always get excited to perform, but it's the only time I really get butterflies. Yeah. And I still get a little bit in that room because it's just, I think of all the greats that have hit those stages. I think of, you know, it's not even about the crowd. It's about the respect of other comedians or watch it. And so that's what I love. That's what I get excited for. It's the, it's the Yankee Stadium of comedy clubs, y'all. It is, it is. It's legendary, man. It's legendary. So what, what's been your most legendary night there? Oh, God. The Billion Dollar Show. What was that? Yeah, the Billion Dollar Show. But, um, yeah, one night, man, we're there. And, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, because the seller, you never know who's stopping through. And there's a bunch of heavyweights sitting there. Now, when you say heavyweights, who's in the room? At the time, it was Amy Schumer and Seinfeld. And they're sitting at the table, or what are they doing? They were just sitting there at the table, and they had okay. come for two different reasons. Uh huh. But we just we were like, ah, we can't get everybody on. So, you know, the show starts up, and my buddy Ryan Hamilton goes on, who is a yep. beast. He was a Love beast. Ryan. And then Dave Attell goes on, and then Jerry Seinfeld goes on. Jerry Seinfeld, after the show leaves, because we thought that was it. Yeah. So after Jerry Seinfeld goes on, Amy Schumer was like, yo, can I do five? So now Amy goes on. Right after that, Aziz was already there getting ready for Saturday Night Live. So Aziz goes on. But since all of them had gone on, this is already a historical show. Yeah, it's already, yeah. So Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle are sitting in the hallway, and they watched all that happen. They was like, well, then we going on. You're not going to leave us out of this right this newsworthy show so then chris rock goes on and does 45 and then dave did like an hour and then dave walks on stage and sits down no one ever reports this right and dave sits on the piano and lights up a cigarette he said hey don't get too excited because cat williams is next (laughs) (laughs) 
And 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 right after he sat down, he said, you know, this is a lot of pressure. This is what he said. He said, this is a lot of pressure. He said, a billion dollars worth of comedy just went up in front of me. And that's where the coining of the billion dollar show came from. Wow. So there was a billion dollars worth of comedy just went on in front of me. And that's where the coining of the term, the billion dollar show. But it was the greatest organic comedy show in the history of comedy. And I remember coming back and not even saying that because I was the only one who in my Instagram, I'm, I'm typing in who's going on. CNN screenshots it. And then it, you know, hit the wire. Yeah. And at six in the morning, they were calling from Australia because, you know, they didn't allow they don't allow cameras in there. Oh, yeah. So I forced Will to you take my phone and take a picture so that there was some evidence of it. I said, when I go up there to get him off stage, I'm going to grab Aziz. So were so you he, host? Were you hosting? Yes. Ah, oh, gotcha. OK, so you were hosting the whole show. Wow. Yes. Hosting the whole ride. Yeah. And some and somebody said, yo, man, was you like doing funny stuff? I was like, bro. I was as quiet as a church yep. mouse. Yep. All I was trying to do is because you don't want to miss the opportunity to have been a, a, a part of that. Why would you go up there and run your mouth and one of them says, you know what, I'll just go on next next show. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just bringing them up. And then people were like, hey, did, did they did the crowd believe when you were announcing people that that's really who was coming to the stage? And I was like, I had never lied to them. Yeah. I, yeah. And that's a play. You know, it's like the comedy store in L.A., uh, the seller in New York, you expect it. I mean, in a weird way, if somebody says Dave Chappelle's, you're like, of course he is. This is the comedy seller. You know, like if he's at the comedy, you're like, of course. So the video, so the photo was all, I saw that photo where everybody was on stage, right? Right. And how was it for you? I mean, look, I've, I've met Dave, I've met all the comedians, but you know, it's like what's different about New York and Vegas. It's kind of we're put in a situation where we kind of have to hang out in Vegas. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but in New York, everybody's running in and out. Does everybody just because I've never been at the cellar when these heavy hitters are there like that. Is there is there a thing where people just kind of stay away from them? Like even if you're a regular there, I was at the comedy store when Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan's still huge, but he was there, right? And you see people circling Joe. And I've always been the dude that, you know, like just stays back. And then when I walk by, Joe says, what's up? I say, what's up? And then I keep it moving. I'm not going to like, is it that vibe when those guys are there? It's kind of people kind of hover around them. Yeah, there is a bit of a hover around. Um, but there's an etiquette. And you know when yeah. they don't want to be bothered because they'll sit at another table. Got you. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, they'll sit at another table that, you know, people won't let them come around because it can get weird. Do you know what I'm saying? If you don't, if you if you don't semi shield them, number one, they won't feel as comfortable coming there. So then you yeah. have left drop ins. But mm -hmm. it can also get weird. I mean, we were there one night and we're sitting there talking, and uh, and and I was like, "Hey guys, great show, whatever, whatever." And I go to the bar, and this guy was like, "Hey man, I'm gonna propose to my girl tonight, whatever, whatever." I was like, "Hey man, congratulations, you know, whatever." And he's walking out of the restaurant with his his girlfriend at the time gets down on one knee in front of Aziz and Chris Rock. Oh no. I know. Oh, that's weird. And proposes. So then she says, yes, he gets up and kisses her. And after he kisses her, he leans over the table to like shake Chris Rock's hand and talk to Aziz. And he's like, Hey guys, I was, I, I knew I was going to propose. And they were like, dude, you just proposed. Like you got it. Y'all got to leave. Yeah. Like, you, you should be off to be happy with, and the guy was like, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. But he just wanted to do that in front of them. In front of them, yeah. 
do have to keep a little. Otherwise, you'll get a bunch of crazy shit like that happen. Yeah. It, what's your weirdest experience at the cellar? Anything crazy other than that? Um, I think that that might that might be the craziest. You know, the, the, the proposal thing, because every everything else people we kind of have figured out how to keep it. It's self-policing. Like yes. people, like the comics look out for other comics and yes. it's always been like that because here's what's great about it. Like Dave and Chris were already big, but I'm sure when they weren't, you know, on their rise, it's kind of like when, when, um, even Michael Che right now, right? He's big, he's on SNL, he's always, he loves to hang at the cellar. Every time I go there, he's there, right? And it's a thing where I remember Liz, and this is how weird I was. I remember Liz got, is like sit at the table. You know, and I was like, oh, you know, my thing is like that table's legendary to me. And I was like, I don't even deserve to sit at that. No. And I sat like I just ate by myself at another table. I didn't want to sit at the table because I felt like I didn't deserve it. You know, I, I respect that table so much. Just she goes, you know, Liz, come and sit at the freak effing table. Yeah. I'm going to come over there and grab you and make a big. So I sit down and it's so amazing. Michael Chase sat next to me. And then so and then you realize, oh, she, you know they're big but they just it's a hang man they just want, they just want to hang and feel you know, normal the other, the other thing though too man is even you know once it's it's almost like a you know a fraternity or a sorority so even though you may be a freshman in the sorority or a sophomore in the sorority you're still in yeah in the frat you know what i mean so you know what i mean no you're not going to be no one's like oh why are you sitting here at the table like you're 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 past here you can sit yeah. at the table. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand that. But I felt so weird, man. I was just like, dude, it, like, you know, this table's all the greats sat there. And you want me yeah. to? So I, I don't know. It's kind of that thing where I always, people are like, yo, you, you're making too much of it. I was like, no, nah, I mean, you know, I, I just respect what's gone on before me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so now you've been doing stand-up comedy for 20 years. But this is what's very cool that I love is that you started this app called blap and basically you can no matter where you are in the country you can find or is it world is it country or world works it works around the world so you can find black owned businesses if you want to support and what made you come up with the concept and how'd you align yourself how'd you put yourself in a position where you could align with people billionaires basically to put together this app um i mean for the most part the the reason that i got started on it is i was unemployed <laughs> get out of work or make you do something creative yeah. Uh, yeah we were sitting at home and to be honest if i wasn't out of work we wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been time to do it because all of my initial teammates that were involved were also out of work and i hit up a friend of mine who um margo who used to work at facebook so that was my first call to silicon valley and then she was able to put the you know some other pieces together to get up to get me to uh to a prototype stage you know a proof of concept so mm -hmm. my buddy Matt um, put the joint together and said, hey, I'm going to send this to you. Let's see what happens. And then we tweaked it for around four to six weeks. But the last version that he sent me, um, I sent to a couple guys that are like um, they're like mentors. Okay. Uh, I call them advisors in the tech world. Right. I sent it to my two advisors. And this time, both of them hit me back probably within four to five minutes. I still remember wow. where I was sitting. That's how big a deal it was that both of them hit me back and said, this is going to be a lot bigger than you think. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
they were like, dude, this is the Uber of finding black on like you are now out in this is new technology that didn't exist prior to you sending this to me. And, you know, and both of them are also investors. So they were like, hey, man, you know, we put $10,000 here, $20,000 there, $50,000 here on 10 businesses all uh-huh. the time, 20 businesses, because you only need one to work. Yep. And they were like, this is the one. What you what you what you pulled off here, man. They said, of course, you have to you know, you have to send it off to a development firm that makes it look good. The bells, the whistles. But they were like, but the functionality of this hasn't been seen. You're holding on to something that you know what I mean? It's almost like finding a, a fish that no one's seen in the ocean on camera. People yeah. are like, oh, my God, dude, bring yeah. that up to the surface. <laughs> You're going to make a lot of money and it's going to do a lot of good. Um, but you know, I was, I, you know, the money thing wasn't on my mind. Otherwise I would have charged to download the app or I, there's yeah. a lot of ways I could have probably made money sooner, but uh-huh. you know, knowing that we lost half of all black owned businesses, knowing that, you know, the, that black wealth in the black community is projected to go down to zero by 2050 because the, our, the circulation of our dollar keeps going down, not up. And um, I had studied this in college, man, about the circulation of the dollar with marginalized community. I was an econ major with an emphasis in poverty. So I've known that this was that there was a hole in our boat for a long time. How do we patch that hole? And I I knew that this would be a way to do it. And and the opportunity presented itself, man, with the lockdown. And if it wasn't, you know, it's interesting about that lockdown, because I believe that was the it was good and bad at the same time. So many people died, which was horrible. People went through so much pain, but if you survived it, man, I feel like a lot of people reevaluated their life. They found out what's important about their life. So many people moved because they realized, yo, I don't need to be here. Why, why am I here when I can go live a better life somewhere else? That's what happened to me and my wife and kids. We're like, I don't need to be in LA. I can do everything I want to do in Las Vegas, and if I need to go to uh, Los Angeles, 45-minute flight. But, you know, I can live in Vegas and be happy and not – because I've never wanted to really raise my kids in Los Angeles. But I feel like so many businesses have taken off. There was a lot lost. But like yours, if you never had to sit down for a year and a half or two years off, basically, like we all were, you would have never came up with this idea. Oh, definitely not. Absolutely. There's not, not a shot in hell. There's no way. And as a matter of fact, just as the lights were coming back on, because all the people that I worked with on the app, all of them have their own companies and they had to go back to work. Yeah. So just as we were finishing up all we could do with the prototype and I was handing it off to the development firm. um, Yeah, they were they had to go back to work. So, I mean, that window was exactly the amount of time that we needed, but it's going really, really well now. So it is called Blap. How do you spell it and how do people look it up? B-L-A-P-P. And mm-hmm. it's on the App Store. It's on the Play Store. Um, and it's doing, it, I mean, people are using it. It's doing a lot of good, man. What is something that got you fired up about the news or life or like just the world right now? Um, I think this app, man, these new developments okay. that are going in there, people are really spending money. It's really making a difference. Yeah. It's, so that's where, I mean, my head is in the sand. I had a guy hit me, man, the other day in, at the cellar, ran up on me. I had the, the logo on and he said that his business had been really, really, really struggling. 
and he was starting to second guess it. He's got his own law firm in Fort Worth. And he said that someone came in and, and gave him a, um, a retainer, $5,000 a month for two years. And he said, that's the only reason I have the money to be here. And he said, if you know anyone that works at that company, tell them they saved me. Wow. And he gets choked up. And then I get choked up. And I was like, man, you got to go watch the rest of the show, man. You can't. Right. Do I don't want to be crying here at work. I got to host the rest of this show. But those stories, man, keep me going. You know, and I keep getting these DMs like, hey, you know, like to the to the Blap site, Blap, uh, Blap the app. I keep uh -huh. getting these DMs like, hey, some people found my business from this app. I just want to say thank you. Hey, I, you know, I don't know who I'm sending this to, but this app, uh, uh, a crew of girls came and ate at my restaurant the other day and they've been back and some other people have been coming in here using this app. Keep going, whoever y'all are, you know, and that it's, it's fuel. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's fuel. Um, so for people, because I always like to end the pod with like a positive message. You've been through a lot from being an All-American in basketball, going through a downtime, trying to get over that rehab, and then finding comedy, and now you're killing it. But then comedy went away during the pandemic, and then you created the sap, and now you're doing comedy again. What is your message for people listening to this podcast that, you know, are trying to find their thing or trying to find their meaning in life or their their next business opportunity, you know, to keep pushing. What is that message you got for him? I don't know, man. I, I would say, uh, you know, be honest and then be patient. Because, you know, sometimes people know what it is that they want to do. They're just scared to do it. You know what I mean? They know where their heart, we all know what makes us happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then sometimes people are like, oh, that doesn't pay enough money or it's going to take too long. So it's like, you got to be honest with yourself. If you're, some people are like, my brother's the funniest one in our family. He's not willing to not have his bills paid every month. So you got to be brutally honest and then be patient, you know? Gotcha. All yeah, right, be, be Brutally honest, be patient. I think some of the best advice ever given to me too, man, um, was from a buddy of mine who's doing extremely well. And I've used this throughout my career. He said, never ask a motherfucker how to get something they don't got. Yes. So many people get advice from people that aren't, you should be getting advice from people that have achieved what you want to achieve, yes. not the people trying to get it like you. Because obviously they don't know yet. Yes, but you can, but you can keep asking. You can them. learn though. You can learn from because you'll find out the mistakes yes. they've made, and because they haven't got there yet. But that's yes. what's that's yes, I agree with you one hundred percent. Yes. So make sure you know whatever endeavor it is that you're you know whichever path you're headed down. Make sure you're asking someone who who can tell you, hey, this is where I started and this is how I got there. Because, yeah, oftentimes, you know, we're talking to somebody sitting next to us who's drunk about how to get sober. And that's yeah. not that's not going to pan out for you. That's right. That's right. That's like asking relationship advice from Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. You know what I mean? Don't do it. Don't do Don't it. Don't do it. Just stay away from that. Stay clear. Stay clear. All yeah. right, John, where can people follow you? What, what's your handles? Uh, my handles, uh, he was funny. I'm, I'm on the gram. Um, um, you're going to please follow Blap the app as well and wow. download the app. Yeah, you can go to blapapp.com um, and download the app. It's on the Play Store, the App Store. Um, it's doing a lot of good um, or hit me at he was funny either or. All right, my man. Well, I appreciate your uh, time and we'll talk soon. Yo, Michael, thank you, brother. I appreciate you. <laughs>